Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Well, let's see. We got today is 17 November. It's Sunday. It's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And as I announced to the people last week, and I'll say it again, all we have is YouTube streaming. Facebook is not working still, and uh, I don't know when we'll get that corrected. But uh, if you do attend online uh, and you uh, don't catch the stream because you didn't know that Facebook isn't working and you're watching this later, uh, just go to YouTube. And if you need to, you can go to the superiorword.org website and go to live and click on that page and it has a link that goes live when we go live. So uh, that'll just keep you uh, able to attend with us online. And uh, Mary Jo said she actually liked the uh, YouTube streaming. So good. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear that. She uh, attended, uh, uh, was it last Sunday or was it Thursday? Last Sunday. I used to go to Facebook when I did the YouTube, and I was really Oh, uh, good. You know, now, one thing, insight. yeah, the insight from the people, but one thing you'll also get on YouTube is a lot of trolls, and they get in there and they try to damage people's faith, they love to disparage Christ, and you won't usually see that on Facebook, but once in a while you will, but you do get it, so you just got to be ready for people and just ignore them, you know, just people like that you just want to ignore, but uh, other than that, you know, I typed something this morning, I do it once every couple weeks, and I thought I'd, uh, before we get into our first category, I'll read you uh just it's, we're talking about prayers just before we started the prophecy update, and I typed a prayer as I do from time to time this morning for our president. So, Lord God, it is good and fitting that we should pray for our president. He's been through a lot of difficulty with the left continuously slandering him, lying about him, and attacking him. And we pray that you continue to guide and strengthen him for every adversity they throw at him, and that you silence them and frustrate their attempts to overthrow what you have ordained. We thank you for the President Trump and lift him up to you today. Amen. Uh, all leaders are ordained by God, and sometimes we get bad leaders and sometimes we get good leaders, but uh, Romans is very clear that we are to pay respect to the uh, government that's in authority, and that speaks of all levels. Peter speaks about that in the book of 1 Peter. All levels of government are appointed over us, and there are times where we are to be disobedient. There are those times that are to come up, but that uh, is a different issue to speak about. As far as uh, the appointment of our president, we need to keep him in prayer. So there you go. Our first category, as always, is Israel. And uh, let's see here. You've all seen that there's been lots of rockets lobbed into Israel over the past week or so. I, you know, I always leave that going, and in the middle of the night, those things are going off. And my thought is, if they're not sleeping, I don't need to sleep. You know what I'm saying? So I leave the sirens on, and when they get lobbed uh, into them, it wakes me up, and it went all night for two nights, literally all night long. And so I just lay there listening to the rockets going into Israel. And it's a very heartbreaking thing, but they did not initiate that. They were attacked, and that's what happened there. So anyway, by design or not, Gaza escalation increases chance of unity government. Benny Gantz claims nothing's changed, but he knows an operation limits his options and bolsters Netanyahu while putting nail in coffin of Plan B, an Arab-backed minority coalition. Okay, that was out a couple days ago. Just this morning, we had, uh, they are working on making a minority coalition Arab-backed. 
And so we'll see where this goes. I said a week ago, I thought we would go to another set of elections. That's still possible. But uh, uh, Netanyahu is really concerned that they would have a minority coalition that is Arab-backed. And he thinks that's a betrayal of uh uh, their nation. So I don't know what the left is doing in Israel, but we'll just keep an eye on it. Um, right after that article that I just read came out, the Times of Israel says Gantz dismisses claims Gaza violence could force unity government. So I don't know. The missiles had an effect on what is going on, but we don't know what type of effect. And we'll see as things go on. From United with Israel, surprise, Israeli national gas fields much larger than expected. Natural gas fields off the coast of Israel were recently revealed as containing far greater reserves than previously expected. Energian Oil and Gas PLC said that its Karish North and Tanin fields revealed significantly larger than expected natural gas supplies. This is an excellent result from the Karish North appraisal sidetrack, confirming in place volumes in the top half of pre-drill estimates and increasing our recoverable volumes in Israel by 25 billion cubic meters of gas plus 34 million barrels of light oil or condensate. Before discovering major natural gas fields, which began with the NOAA gas field off the shores of Ashkelon in 1999, and the more significant findings in 2009 of Tamar and Leviathan, it was widely assumed that the country lacked natural resources. And now we find out that they don't. They actually have lots of natural resources. And if what we talked about a few weeks ago was Zion oil and gas comes true, that they actually have usable oil in the land of Israel, as Moses prophesied, you know, Asher will dip his foot in oil. If that's the case, then that could be the hook that brings the nations into Israel to attack against them, as it says in Ezekiel 38 and 39. But finding large sources of natural gas has freed Israel from its dependency of energy sources from abroad and transformed the country into an energy supplier, both domestically and abroad. Now, imagine that. 1999, they didn't even know that they could uh, have any resources at all, and now they're actually exporting resources. Israel is pegged to deliver natural gas to Jordan and Egypt, valued at $26 billion. That's U.S. It is also planning to construct a 2,000-kilometer pipeline to supply Eastern Med gas to Europe. The latest discovery follows exploratory drilling 700 meters north of the original Karish North penetration that took place between mid-March and April and cost $25 million. So very interesting article. It shows that Israel is continuing to get natural resources. They're finding they have more than they thought originally. Their uh, exports are going to go up based on that, and their revenues are going to go up, and the nations around them are going to start wanting what they have, especially when you take into consideration Gog and Magog. You've got Russia, you've got Turkey, you've got Iran, you've got all of these nations that want to control all of the oil and gas in the Middle East, and how do you do that? You might have to take over Israel, which is what the Bible prophesies. From the Times of Israel report, Trump said Israel should pay for Palestinian Authority security assistance instead of the United States. Now, Trump has been very supportive of Israel. That has not changed in any way, shape, or form, but he is also not supportive of the Palestinian Authority. He has no love for them. He, they have done nothing but belittle him. They've done nothing but harm the cause in Israel and the relationship with the United States. They fund their terrorists with money that we send them. That's now been outlawed by an act of Congress signed by the president. But 
Um, here's what this article says. Prime Minister Netanyahu earlier this year asked the U.S. to transfer funds to the Palestinian security forces in the West Bank to support their counterterror efforts. But President Trump responded that Netanyahu should pay them himself. If they want it paid, they can pay it. Our president is very good about saying, let's not spend our money unwisely. This is taxpayer money. According to this report, the Israeli request came after the State Department discovered $12 million in funds earmarked for the Palestinians that had not been transferred amid American aid cuts to the Palestinians. Israel, which is keen to preserve security ties with the Palestinian Authority, they don't want to have any uh, en enmity with the Palestinian Authority, and so they're you know, wanting these things to be happy between them, which cooperates with its security forces in the West Bank, asked that the money be handed over to the security apparatuses. But Trump refused, noting his policy of defunding the Palestinian Authority over its decision to cut ties with his admin. When Jerusalem pressed him, Trump replied, if it is that important to Netanyahu, he should pay the Palestinians the $12 million. U.S. aid to the Palestinian security services ended earlier this year at the Palestinians' request in order to preempt lawsuits over alleged support for terrorism. I don't know if you remember that article, but they cut the support that we were giving them in this regard, and here's why. It's coming up. The Palestinian Authority demanded the funding stop at the end of January for fear it could expose it to costly lawsuits under the Anti-Terrorism Clarification Act, which came into force on February 1st. The ATCA legislation passed by Congress last year provides for any government that receives funding to be subject to U.S. counterterrorism laws. The Palestinian Authority faces potential lawsuits from families of American victims of past Palestinian attacks. They don't want to be liable for that. So they said, we're not going to take this money because if we take that money, we are now under U.S. law as far as that's concerned, and they can sue us. The aid of around $60 million a year, according to the U.S. State Department, was in support of Palestinian security forces in the West Bank, which cooperate closely with the Israeli counterparts against Hamas and other groups. Media reports at the time stated that Israeli officials expressed concern to the United States about the impact of the security cut and encouraged them to find a workaround. Since taking office, Trump has slashed hundreds of millions of dollars of aid for Palestinians, including all of its support for the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees and nearly $200 million earmarked for humanitarian programs in the West Bank and Gaza. Last year, the cuts abruptly ended food assistance to 180,000 Palestinians on behalf of the World Food Program and defunded several health initiatives and hospitals. Infrastructure projects, including water treatment facilities in the Gaza Strip, have also been put on hold. So our president has cut every single penny that is going over to them because they are at enmity not only with Israel, but they're at enmity with the United States of America, and they are funding terrorists with the money we have been sending them. So that's the status of that. Times of Israel. Liberal U.S. Jewish group asks Israeli politicians to oppose West Bank annexation. I never understand 
how Jews can be liberal, but they are. Most of them, a large majority of Jews are liberal, and they do not think clearly. They've got a homeland for their people, and it's like they want to cut that homeland off and then completely destroy it. But here we go. A coalition of liberal American Jewish groups is sending a letter to the leaders of Israelis' political parties asking them to oppose Israeli annexation of the West Bank, even if President Trump gives it a green light. The groups already are on record opposing a potential Israeli annexation of part or all of the West Bank, which Prime Minister Netanyahu is pledged to pursue if he continues in office. But the letter, written by a coalition called the Progressive Israel Network, aims to tell Israel's political leaders that approval from Trump does not mean widespread support for annexation from either American Jewry or supporters of Israel at large. Polls show that a majority of American Jews support the establishment of a Palestinian state, mistaking such a green light from the president. For any type of consensus on the part of either U.S. political party would be a dangerous error for Israel. I disagree with them wholeheartedly, and they say simply put, the approach of this president does not represent the long-term interests and likely future policy of the United States. That is not true. The president is supporting them. And if annexation is a part of their uh, policy in the West Bank, so be it. The land is given by God to Israel. The deed is recorded right in the pages of the Bible. It is their land, and they should be doing this. And I do not understand why people cannot get that precept, is that the land belongs to Israel. I, you know, I, I do understand that they, the Muslims don't believe in the Bible, but you know what? They have to understand that this is the God of the universe that has done these things, and he has done it specifically for a purpose, which is to reveal his son. First, when he came, and they rejected him, and now they are going to, Daniel 9, 24 through 27, eventually receive Christ. And we're going to talk about that in our sermon today. This is prophesied in the Old Testament. It's typologically pictured in the Old Testament. And then we come into uh, today when they are back in the land and it is all to reveal Christ. And he's going to do it. He's done it to the world. They rejected him, but he is going to do it to his people, Israel, at some point. And it's coming soon to a dispensation near you. So from Christian News today, from MSN, we're standing by it. I like this guy. Sheriff doubles down on in God. We trust decals after an atheist group's complaint. A Flor- yes, a Florida sheriff doubled down on his defense of a new decal on patrol cars that says, in God we trust, after a group of atheists complained. the Yes, of course, the FFRF co-president Annie Laurie Gaylor called the move frightening and politically dubious for the local police department to announce to citizens that officers rely on the judgment of a deity rather than on the judgment of the law in a letter to the sheriff's office. It's on our coins. It's on all of our government buildings. It is legal in this country to do that, and yet they're complaining. And all they are doing this for is to intimidate. It's to take out any resemblance or mention of God in society. And this guy is doubling down. He's not going to be intimidated. But Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivey told Fox News, they have a better chance of me waking up thin tomorrow morning than they do of me taking that motto off our cars. And Ivy doubled down. I think we can all see that didn't happen. I didn't wake up thin this morning, but I did wake up very proud to be an American and to protect the principles of our great country. 
The sheriff said they knew there might be backlash, but he said the courts have upheld that in God we trust, which is the national and Florida state motto, is not a religious statement as much as it is a patriotic and ceremonial one. It was the right thing to do, and we're standing by it, Ivy said. I personally believe that our country is at a tipping point. And if strong patriotic Americans don't start standing up for great principles of this great country, we're going to lose this great country. From Christian News, New York Governor Cuomo signs bill prohibiting churches, nonprofits from endorsing, opposing political candidates. Now, what they've done is they've taken the Johnson Amendment and they've made it a state law now. And the reason why they've done this is because it's being challenged at the federal level and it's being you know, hopefully uh, worked against by the president himself, and they don't want that in their state. Now, this is the problem with being a 501c3 organization, a church. And we are not one here, and we never will be, but this is the problem with that is because this isn't just a state problem. This is, I'm sorry, a national problem. This is also a state problem, and it's even, as we have seen in this church, a local government problem. And so we, at least in this church, have nothing to do with any level of government. We're not required to pay our property taxes in this church, and yet we do, because we're not going to have anybody saying to us that, oh, you owe us in some way, fashion, or another. So here's the article. It says, um, the Democrat governor of New York has signed a bill that codifies into state law already existing federal rules prohibiting churches and nonprofit organizations from endorsing or opposing political candidates. SB 4347 states that any cooperation, association, trust, or community chest, fund, foundation, or limited liability company organized and operated exclusively for religious, charitable, scientific, testing for public safety, literary, or educational purposes may not participate in or intervene in, including the publishing or distributing of statements, any political campaign on behalf of of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. The legislation is meant to mirror the Johnson Amendment. Groups such as ADF have desired the repeal of the federal amendment as they believe that it gags churches from teaching their congregations, which it does, with specificity and relevance how to vote biblically. Rather than risk confrontation, many pastors have self-censored their speech afraid to apply the teachings of scripture to specific candidates or elections. That won't happen in the superior word. In 2017, President Trump signed an executive order directing the IRS not to enforce the electioneering prohibition. No one should be censoring sermons or targeting pastors, he said. America has a rich tradition of social change beginning in our pews and pulpits. And we must never infringe on the noble tradition of change from the church and progress from the pew. Under my administration, free speech does not end at the steps of a cathedral or a synagogue or any other house of worship, Trump proclaimed. We are giving churches their voices back. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but this is what he had talked about earlier. We are giving them back in the highest form. Certain lawmakers in New York oppose the president's actions as they believe that church and nonprofits and politics should not mix. Now, that's a lie because they let liberal churches say whatever they want. They do it anytime they want, and nobody says a thing about it. It's the conservative voice, the biblical voice, which is what they want silenced. They sought to make the Johnson Amendment's prohibitions state law in the event that the statute is ever repealed 
federally. That's a very important article. It's a very important precept, but I don't think anybody should even bother with 501c3. They should not be involved in that type of a thing. You pay your taxes, you uh, preach what you want, and you don't let the government in any way or shape or form tell you what to do. From the Christian headlines, just a little poke. A.G. Barr says America was founded on Christian values. Progressive group calls the statement toxic Christian nationalism. Well, they obviously don't know their own laws because the Supreme Court of the United States in the Trinity decision says that this is a Christian nation. U.S. Attorney General William Barr is receiving heat from a liberal Christian group for a recent speech at the Notre Dame University Law School in which he praised religion as the basis for the country's moral system, which it is. The founding generation were Christians. They believed that the Judeo-Christian moral system corresponds to the true nature of man. Barr, a devout Catholic, said, those moral precepts start with the two great commandments, to love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. The progressive group called Faithful America believed the speech did not accurately represent all of the country's faith. It does, because the Christians allowed anybody to exercise any faith that they want in this nation, but it is a Christian nation. Okay, it does. It represents everybody. From Fox, Bolivia interim president declares Bible has returned to the palace amid growing uncertainty. If you know, Evo Morales uh, was booted out of the country. He was a uh, socialist, and he was also a, uh, uh, you know, a worshiper of the environment. He was one of these, uh, like, spiritist people. And uh, this coup took place. He is out, and now this lady is the temporary president, and she held up a big Bible, and she said, this is returned to our nation. So hopefully good things will happen to Bolivia in the days ahead. From Islam, from Globes, UAE moles opening up to Israeli tourists. Imagine that, an Arab nation, Israeli tourists, a senior UAE official involved in organizing Expo 2020. Attending a London fair to promote the event told Yediot Aharonot, Expo could be a pilot during which Israeli tourists will be allowed to enter the country. But even after the exhibition closes, the UAE authorities will leave the gates of the country open to Israeli tourists. Welcome! Israelis can visit Expo, and I believe that, God willing, they will come to visit even after the exhibition. Several hundreds of Israelis already visit, and we will be happy to host all of you. Israelis are allowed into the UAE if they hold another passport or receive a visa to attend a special event. The two countries have drawn closer in recent years due to mutual hostility to Iran. So you can see how Iran is becoming a wedge and all of the other nations in the Arab states are getting closer to Israel because of it. It's a rather amazing thing to watch and see. From the Times of Israel, U.S. warns Iran could be positioning for rapid nuclear breakout. If you haven't been paying attention to the news, that's all you need to know. From Zero Hedge, wake-up call to Europe. Iran vows increase of nuclear activity every two months, perhaps anticipating the moment Iran has to inform European supporters of the 2015 nuclear deal. Don't say we didn't warn you. A senior Iranian official has warned a crisis is now unfolding and that Tehran's incremental breaches of the JCPOA should serve as a wake-up call for European signatories of the deal. I don't think it'll happen, but it should. Hamid, can't pronounce his last name, Iran's ambassador to the United Kingdom, said Tehran's move this week to inject uranium gas into centrifuges at its Fordow plant 
a significant escalation of the Islamic Republic's nuclear activity was adopted as a warning to the other sides and the international community that we are at a crisis. We hope this warning would encourage all other parties to implement their commitments. Now it depends on the other side. If they don't take this warning seriously, we will be in a very difficult situation. Of course, there's nothing new to this crisis given European signatories, Germany, France, and the United Kingdom have for over a year limped along under White House threats. Good morning, Mrs. Garrett. While still trying to assure and appease Iranian leaders that they are doing something, which has included setting up a swift alternative payment channel for humanitarian-related purchases and Macron's more recent $15 billion credit line proposal. This guy, who I can't pronounce his name, again echoed that Europe's efforts remain too little too late and that a final breaking point is coming. So what they're doing is they are threatening the United, I'm sorry, the European Union that if you don't appease us, we are going to build this bomb. It's exactly the opposite the way that this treaty should be handled, but they are doing it. They have taken commitments that are defined in very clear terms, and they should be able to implement those commitments, he said. Isn't that a bribe? That's exactly what it is. It's a bribe. But the left doesn't care about that in any way, shape, or form unless they make one up against our president and insert it into their impeachment proceedings. So, from the Times of Israel, United Nation human rights delegates overwhelmingly applaud Iran for its record. Yeah, out of 111 countries present at the hearing, 95 of them, or 85%, praised Iran's rights record. Only 16 countries criticized Tehran. The states that lavished praise on Iran included North Korea, Qatar, Belarus, Malaysia, Iraq, and Oman. We commend the government's commitment to promote and protect human rights, including ongoing efforts in improving education and health, the Palestinian Authority representative said. We highly commend the government of Iran for its dedicated efforts and its continuing progress in its promotion and protection of human rights for its people, especially women, children, and persons with disabilities, despite economic sanctions, said the North Korean representative. Oh. Daniel Crowenfeld of the United States criticized Tehran, saying Iran has flagrantly violated its citizens' human rights. We recommend that Iran, one, immediately release all Iranian prisoners of conscience, including United States citizens it holds in detention. Two, immediately end the use of torture and credibly investigate and prosecute all allegations of torture. Three, establish an independent judiciary, including a significant reforms to the revolutionary courts. And lastly, Cronenfeld called for Iran to abolish laws requiring women to wear hijabs in public and remove other restrictions on women. So we're saying one thing, the rest of the world seems to be saying another about Iran. From Mongolia today, from Ukraine Forum. Ukraine signs visa-free regime with Mongolia. Wow, the Ukraine is all over the place in the news lately, aren't they? A visa waiver agreement between the governments of Ukraine and Mongolia has been solemnly signed at the Ukrainian embassy in Warsaw. The agreement was signed by Ambassador of Ukraine to Poland and Ambassador of Mongolia to Poland. We have signed an agreement allowing Ukrainian citizens to travel without visas to Mongolia. This agreement provides that Ukrainian citizens can enter Mongolia without visas for 90 days within 180 days. Hunter Biden is not included in this agreement in regards to visa-free travel to either country. Okay, I added that in. 
Daniel 12 Technology, Zero Hedge, Nobel Prize winner suggests blasting nuclear waste with lasers. Now, this is a really cool thought. We've got all this nuclear waste in the world, and it is a huge problem. The United States spends billions of dollars every year because of it. Many have made strong arguments for the potential of nuclear power to be the clean energy solution of the future. There are some major drawbacks, however, to nuclear energy. Of course, there's the ever-present concern of a meltdown that has kept civilians and politicians alike extremely wary of widespread nuclear energy production in the wake of high-profile tragedies like those at Fukushima, Three Mile Island, and Chernobyl. While the death toll from nuclear disasters is actually quite low, the long-term damage from these tragedies endures. In Japan, the government has been using so much water to keep the reactors at Fukushima from overheating since the 2011 disaster that they have run out of space to store it and have even considered dumping the radioactive wastewater into the Pacific. And then there is the major issue of nuclear waste. As efficient and carbon-free as it is, nuclear power certainly is not the cleanest form of energy production thanks to its extremely hazardous byproducts that can stay radioactive for millions of years. But now, for the first time, there may be a solution to the previously unsolvable nuclear waste issue. Nobel laureate Gerard Moreau has proposed a novel solution that smacks of science fiction and revolves around blasting nuclear waste with lasers. The original research focused on applications like laser machining and eye surgery. But scientists could also use it to observe atomic processes that happen at almost unfathomable speeds. If we could speed it up just a little bit more, CPA could have a use in processing nuclear waste too. CPA could turn even the most nuclear waste we have sitting in secure storage facilities around the world, where it will otherwise remain radioactive for millions of years, into a substance so safe you could hold it in the palm of your hand. The method would work by blasting nuclear waste with a laser pulse so strong and fast that it could knock protons out of the nuclei of dangerous substances like uranium-235 and plutonium-239, rendering them harmless. If this technology, which other experts agree makes sense in theory, could actually be invented and applied in the next couple of decades, it would be difficult to overstate the impact it would have on our energy sector and indeed the entire world. Now, that, when I read that, that made me think of maybe we have something coming very soon that will be implemented, which will bring about the world that is mentioned in Isaiah concerning the millennial reign of Christ and what the state of the world will be like, where there won't be all of these problems. Well, that's one way it may be resolved, is by simple laser use, blasting out protons and making something inert out of it. So we'll see. Revelation plagues. Australia, before we go on, Australia is having a lot of fires over there. I don't know if you've been keeping up on the news, but they're really facing a lot of fires, and there's a lot of nice people in Australia, good Christians, and uh, so you might want to keep Australia in prayer. Uh, it's just very dry, and this is not global warming, folks. That's not what's causing that. They've had fires in Australia before. We've had fires in America for ever since we were established as a nation. What is happening in Australia and what is happening, especially in California, is mismanagement mm -hmm. by these left-wing environmentalists, okay? It is not global warming, okay? They are causing the problem. They're not solving the problem, all right? So anyway, from Fox News, drought ravages southern Africa. Officials say that 45 million people are at risk of hunger. 
Sub-Saharan Africa is facing its worst drought in decades, according to UN estimates. Emergency food deliveries are planned for regions of South Africa, Zambia, Zimbabwe, and other nations hit with deadly combination of low rainfall and high temperatures. We've had the worst drought in 35 years. Now, just this week, do I say anything in this? No, I don't. Uh, Just this week, Venice is having flooding. Terrible, terrible flooding. Have you all heard about that? Do you know what the headlines say? It's the worst flooding in 50 years. 50 years, okay? What does that mean? They had worse flooding 50 years ago. This is not climate change and the same thing you see right here. This is the worst drought in 35 years. This is not climate change. This is what happens. It's cyclical in the world. Okay, so we cannot listen to these people that say that climate change is causing it. It's not. If you have a precedent within 35 years or 50 years or 500 years, you have a precedent. Okay, so we'll go on. It's uh, central and western areas during the growing season. While the UN estimates that 45 million people will be severely food insecure over the next six months, 11 million currently face crisis or emergency levels of food insecurity in nine countries. Angola, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Zambia, Madagascar, Malawi, Namibia, Eswantini, and Lesotho. Southern Africa has received normal levels of rainfall in just one out of its past five growing seasons. We've talked about that before, which has especially affected small-scale farmers who depend on rain for their crops. Back-to-back cyclones and flooding have also wreaked havoc on the already devastated harvests. USAID is investing $70 million in agricultural biotech initiatives to address hunger across the world. The droughts are also taking their toll on the region's wildlife. This is a difficult part of this article here. At least 105 elephants have died in Zimbabwe's wildlife reserves over the past two months due to a lack of water and vegetation, according to Zimbabwe's national parks. Zimbabwe and neighboring Botswana have the two highest elephant populations in the world, 85,000 and 130,000 respectively. Some desperate animals are encroaching on nearby communities in search of food and water. If the water is low and they're coming in to get water, guess what the people are going to do to the animals? Okay, animals are going to die, but the people are going to kill them before they get to their water. Plus, the successive mixture of drought and flooding has been catastrophic for many communities. In most of the affected areas, there isn't enough drinking water, which means that people and animals, both livestock and wildlife, are having to use the same water points. This is unacceptable as it exposes people to diseases and creates a heightened risk of animal attacks. And I would say those attacks go in both directions. Animals will attack humans, humans will attack animals, and it's just that much more chaos. So there you go with that. South Africa and the the regions of Southern Africa are having trouble. For morality, NBC, federal judge strikes down rule allowing clinicians to object to abortions for moral or religious reasons. Your religious rights, which were secured by President Trump, have been overthrown by a federal judge. Federal judge in New York struck down a new Trump admin rule, which means what this means is that you as a Christian have no rights when it comes to objecting in your job. That's what this guy is saying to you. Um, Clinicians to refuse to provide abortions for moral or religious reasons. You don't want to uh, perform an abortion or participate in it. You have to, according to this guy. U.S. District Judge Paul A. Engelmeyer rejected the federal rule after women's groups, health organizations, and multiple states sued the DHHS, arguing the exemptions were unconstitutional. 
Well, what about the constitutional rights of the people that don't want to murder unborn babies? Okay, Engelmeyer ruled that the so-called conscience rule was too coercive. So it's coercive to say, I don't want to do this thing, allowing HHS to withhold billions in federal funding unless health care providers complied. The refusal of care rule was an unlawful attempt to allow health care providers to openly discriminate and refuse to provide necessary health care to patients based on providers' religious beliefs or moral objections, uh, some guy argued before this court. Now, that's not true because there are people that will perform these things. It, it doesn't affect those people's abortions or anything at all in any way, shape, or form. What it does do is it makes people that don't want to do these things forced to do these things. That's the problem. This is the bakery thing. That's right. It's the bakery thing moved right into here. We will continue to use every tool at our disposal to protect access to health care and protect the rights of all individuals. The Trump admin rule, which would have taken effect on November 22nd in just a couple more days, would have allowed providers and health care organizations to opt out of performing abortions. That's all it was given to do is to let them opt out and other services if the clinicians objected to them on moral or religious grounds. So you have no rights in this nation, according to these liberal judges. Zero. From the Washington Examiner, seven-year-old at center of transgender custody battle, opts to attend school as a boy. The mother was forcing him to wear dresses, and she was telling him, you're a girl, and you don't want to be a boy, and the father sued. They tried to take away his rights. Mm -hmm. Somebody intervened, he got the rights, and now this boy wants to be a boy when he goes to school. PJ Media, Georgia state lawmaker, proposes making gender transition surgery for minors a felony. Good. From our other category, Zero Hedge. UK cancer charity, biological females are now people with a cervix. You're no longer allowed to say in the UK that this is a woman that's going to have a procedure. You have to be a person with a cervix. It all started when a British cancer charity decided to drop the word women from their pap smear campaign ad campaign. It seems it's suggesting that women should get pap smear tests to, for cervical cancer is discriminatory and not inclusive enough. So the charity instead started advertising to everyone 25 through 64 with a cervix. They won't say that they're women. They'll just say that if you have a cervix, come in. Lindsay McCarthy Calvert, a professional birth coach and spokeswoman for a national association of birth coaches in Great Britain, responded with a Facebook post. She wrote that she was not a cervix owner, but rather an adult human female, and that women birth all the people in the world. She was then immediately accused of transphobia by the woke patrol and took offense at Lindsay's absolutely disgusting language. This movement has become so ridiculous that even the biological concept of being a woman has become controversial. And basic facts about biology are outright refuted. Isn't that unbelievable? You can't even say this is a woman anymore. You can't do that in the United Kingdom without being attacked. Where are all the women, women uh, livers that are just like, you know, women this? Women yeah, where are the women livers? Exactly. Why aren't they sticking up for themselves? by the Tavistock Institute in London. The Tavistock Institute in London. I haven't even heard of it, but I will look that up. And anybody that's listening, look up the Tavistock Institute in London. And apparently that is where this is all originating from. From Zero Hedge, cops are calling on Google Maps to disable speed trap alerts. They don't want you knowing where the cops are. Android users have been able to mark and see police on Google Maps since 2018. 
That allows drivers to see the location of speed traps that have been marked by other drivers. Apple users just got those features added, but now the National Sheriff's Association is calling on Google to stop allowing users to report and view the location of cops. They say it endangers public safety. But according to Google, the company's own data shows that mapping speed traps actually compels people to drive more safely in those areas, which is the whole point, right? Zero hedge. City, yeah, it's money. There's one speed trap up in um, South Egremont, Massachusetts. South Egremont, yes, Massachusetts. It's hard for me to remember because where my dad lives up there is right on the corner of uh, New York and Connecticut. And so the three states are so close, you drive through any of them at any time. So I think it's South Egremont, Massachusetts. But um, they have a road, it's just a regular road that goes like 50 miles an hour until it goes through their town and it goes down to like 19 miles an hour or something. I'm not kidding. And if you are one mile over the limit, they give you like a $200 ticket and they make a ton of money out of that. But that's what that is. It all comes back to money. It doesn't come back to personal safety at all. From Zero Hedge, city not liable for home destroyed by police. What? Yes, an armed shoplifter running from the police, took refuge in a random home. Your home, this is your home, okay? If you're a homeowner, the only person home, a nine-year-old boy ran out of the house to safety. But the family's troubles were just starting. While trying to arrest the suspect, police fired tear gas into the home. They used explosives to open up lines of sight, AKA blow giant holes in the walls, which they did. You see a picture of it, the house is demolished, okay? And finally, they used an armored vehicle to ram through a wall, just like you see on one of these movies, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Lethal Weapon or something. Drive this thing right through the wall, okay? In the end, the house was entirely destroyed by the police. It had to be torn down and completely rebuilt. The city gave the family $5,000 for temporary housing, but they denied any responsibility for the damage. Insurance didn't cover enough of the cost to actually rebuild. But when the family sued the town to try to receive compensation for the damage, the lawsuit was dismissed. The court claimed that the house was destroyed under the state's policing authority, so it seems that police can destroy as much property as they want while exercising their duty, even when that property belongs to innocent people who had nothing to do with the crime. Um, let me see, where was that at? That was in... Um, Oh, I didn't put the city down. Okay, anyway, it was somewhere in some place. <laughs> Zero Hedge. Italy's leftist government hands out more cash to migrants than disabled Italians. Yes, recently released figures showed that the state will allocate 50 million euros next year, 200 million euros in 2021, and 300 million euros in 2022 to the Disability and Self-Reliance Fund. Given that 2 million out of 3 million disabled people in Italy rely on state benefits, this works out to just 54 cents per day in welfare, which isn't enough to live on a subsistence diet. In contrast, migrants receive 20 euros a day, so you can get either 54 cents a day or 20 euros a day. So what you do is you leave the country, give up your citizenship, come back in and get more money. According to Fabio Scaltritti of the community San Benedetto Al Porto in Alessandria, that was a tongue twister, the question of handing money over to migrants isn't an economic issue, it's an ethical necessity. According to these data, Italians who unfortunately are disabled find themselves mocked by the refugees who arrive in our country. 
As we previously highlighted, when the leftist government was last in power during the height of the migrant crisis, some Italian citizens had their property requisitioned by the authorities and were forced to rent it out to migrants at rock bottom prices. This is the left in the world. This is what they want is destruction of anything that makes any sense. From the White House, whitehouse.gov, 158 judges and counting. My mom sent this to me. I'm reading it to you. President Donald Trump has appointed and gotten confirmed 158 life-tenured federal judges, which will replace that knucklehead that we just read about a minute ago soon, who will defend our Constitution, personal freedoms, and the rule of the law. A few of the highlights... President Trump's nominees alone fill one quarter of the seats on our nation's circuit courts of appeals. One president in three years has appointed one quarter of these judges. His nominees fill two of the nine powerful seats on the America's Supreme Court. I hope it'll become all nine soon. He has seen more circuit court judges confirmed by this point in his presidency than any past president in U.S. history. We can give one person credit for this. No. <laughs> You're not going to like me saying this, but it's Mitch McConnell. He's the one person that has allowed this to happen because he is in charge of the Senate, and he has pushed this through, allowing the president to do this. He ought to get an award and a letter from each one of us. Thank you. Maybe I'll send him a letter from the church because he is the one that has made sure that this has gone through, and he will continue until the very end. I don't know much about Mitch McConnell. I don't follow the Senate very closely, but what he has done is to get this through, and this is a good thing. The average age of these new circuit judges is less than 50 years old, a full 10 years younger than the average age of former President Obama's circuit nominees. Trump is picking young people, he's picking conservative people, and he is getting them through. Good job. Got a lesser cure for you? See if you can figure out what they're talking about. Now, before Annie Gaylor gets rash, she should check in her pocket for cash. Seems the motto of fame is on much in his name, even now on the cars that haul trash. If you know what he means by trash, anyway, um, that's the uh, In God We Trust ones. Okay, so there you go. That's the article. I don't think you were here when we read that. From our irony, I got a couple of them for you this week on this work is killing me. From the Washington, and I know this is sad, people die, but it's ironic, okay? Washington Post on a tiny island that bans guns, the only prosecutor is shot dead. This work is killing me. Yes, and from Mail Online, lucky, I'd say not so lucky, lucky Buddhist statue topples over and crushes a religious leader as it is unveiled in Thailand. Man, there are all kinds of theological points I could make to you about that particular article right there. But yeah, not so lucky. This work is killing me. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.